Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful. And for the faithful, I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? I am doing well. How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Nice. Another nice day out there. Summer's been good so far. Yeah, it it really has. Are you uh, heading outside for a walk later today? I sure will be. Your daily? 100%, 100% every day. I haven't missed a day in 2020. Good work. Good work. Yeah, well, it's keeping uh, me sane, man. Yes. Actually, out there in the real world, it's, it's so much of it's becoming a flat screen world, you know. Let's get out in the three-dimensional world and breathe the air and look around. It, uh, it does me good. Indeed. Indeed. I like getting out as well. I often do. Mm-hmm. I know you do. About every single day. We both Remember when we, we went out to Jasper for that um, uh, Oilers rookie camp in 2014 when we both got an eyeful of Leon Dreisaitl and Darnell Nurse together and Nurse dominating. Remember we went yeah. to that uh, that uh, uh, Billy Morris Cup, was it, out, out there in, in yeah. Jasper? And we went for a little walk in Moline Canyon and you left me in the dust. I think I'd do a little better job of keeping up with you now. <laughs> I, was, I was soft and fat at that time. I was still fat, but I'm a little less soft. Uh-huh. And I was, and I, you know, so anyway. You're the that hard, was, that was, that was an eye-opener for me. Holy oh, moly, he's still going hard. <laughs> you're, a, you are a hard, you're a hard man of the podcasting world now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was back. Uh, my wife and I were uh, skiing recently mm-hmm. in Jasper mm-hmm. at uh, Marmot. And mm-hmm. lots of snow for this time of year. And we went to Moline Canyon. And it was absolutely fantastic in the winter. There was no one there. And there was ice in where the waterfalls are. I highly recommend it if you're in the Jasper area. Like now there's now there's more travel restrictions. I don't I don't think they want people to travel. I'm not sure about if they want people to travel to Jasper or Banff. I don't don't know if that's a known or if that's not. I think that that's not being recommended any kind of travel that's not essential. Anyway, we were there before that and it was absolutely magical. Bruce, speaking of magical, we've been Mm -hmm. watching a couple prospects. Mm. And I'm going to say, um, I'm not th- thrilled with every prospect on the Oilers, like top 20 prospect list. Yep. There's some that I'm pretty sure are not going to be making it in the NHL. And of course, that's normal for any top 20 prospect list. Yep. If you can get like five of those guys to be NHL players, I think you're 100%. you're really doing well. I, there, I just have no doubt there's going to be five guys off the Oilers top prospect, five top five prospect lists who are NHL players. And some of them, you know, it's just really interesting to see who, who are the, what I would call the players, like the guys who, who get out there and want to make hockey plays. And um, we're going to talk about some of those players. Uh, one of them, Carter Savoy, who is off mm-hmm. to kind of a near miracle start in his college career at the University of Denver. We're going to talk about Philip Brober, who is uh, a man uh, with many pronunciations of his name, even in Sweden. We understand Apparently. now. Uh, we'll talk about Raphael Lavoie, who is playing in Sweden in the second division. We'll talk about Ryan McLeod in Switzerland. So we'll, those are the prospects I think we're going to deal with today. We haven't seen Dylan Holloway because, of course, he's in right. the um, quarantine for three weeks. For um, almost a month. Yeah, just and, brutal. Yeah, well, and and his team has also had quarantine issues. Yeah. He left it and they played a lot fewer games than might have been expected. 
Um, we'll talk about the start of the NHL season. And Kurt Levin's had a post where mm-hmm. he talked about maybe the Oilers having a little bit of a wee bit of an advantage. Bruce, let's start digging in. There's the latest news. There's been some positive news about the NHL season. Essentially, to, to sum it up quickly, the, the the owners have been asking for some concessions. It looks like they backed off that in terms of this year. They're they're probably going to stick with the deal that was struck last spring, which which means uh, the players get a little bit more money now. But down the road, players, a different group of players, will get less money. And we'll have a flatter cap for a longer period of time. Um, It looks like the owners owners have accepted that. And the latest word is I heard December 28th for start of training camp for teams that haven't played in a long, long time. Uh, Early January 3rd, I believe, for the other teams Mm -hmm. uh, starting up. And play commencing actual, I'm not sure if it's exhibition games or regular season games, in a 56-game season. No exhibition games. No exhibition games. Starting on the uh, mid-January, 56 games. So um, that's really, that's great. I I hope they can pull that off. What we're seeing right now in Europe and at the World Junior Tournament Mm -hmm. is lots of cancellations, lots of delays because of uh, players getting covid and team staff, mainly players, getting COVID. And it's just interrupted. It's postponed this, the Finnish league. There's been Swedish teams that have been delayed. Of course, Sweden is famously uh, more open to continuing on with regular life during the pandemic period. Uh, but even there, there's been players missing games. Um, I think some teams have also missed games, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. So there's been huge gaps in the Swiss league schedule. Germany's delayed, everyone's delayed. So we'll see how successful the NHL is. And coming into all this is the vaccine, which in a private system in the United States, um, I don't know what their system, like I know they have a private healthcare system. I don't know in terms of the vaccine, if people with more money in the United States will be getting vaccinated or not. That could also have an impact with the players getting vaccinated fairly early on. Um, which would solve some problems and maybe getting crowds back. So that's kind of a summation of the news. What's your take on the return of NHL hockey? Well, I mean, it's good that they at least have a plan in place. I mean, it really was unseemly when it looked like the two sides were battling over money. Uh, <laughs> billionaires against millionaires, as, as uh, some folks put it. Of course, many of the uh, millionaires are actually thousandaires. I mean, there's a relatively... A minority of players that are making the, the big, big money and a whole lot of sort of uh, uh, guys on the fringes. Uh, so anyways, uh, they did make that deal just last June, I think it was, that they uh, that they agreed to uh, the terms. And then the owners came back with some asks and then the players union came back with an ask or two of their own. I understand they asked that the league raised the salary cap a little bit to sort of uh, unfreeze uh, some of the teams and, and open the market a little bit for some of the guys that are looking for work. And the owners didn't like that, and they've just agreed to shelve the whole thing and go ahead. And, of course, all that's, I mean, it's agreed to at the very top level, uh, but the uh, NHL players have to agree to it, at least the executive of the Players Association, the representatives of all the teams have to agree to it, and the owners, the Board of Governors have to agree to it. And with a two-thirds majority to approve the proposed divisional realignment. So 
there's word out there that at least a half dozen and perhaps uh, uh, closer to 10 or 12 owners are not that happy. So that vote could be an interesting, uh, an interesting time. We have uh, 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 the notorious Jeremy Jacobs of uh, Boston Bruins, apparently among those is not very happy with the, uh, with the terms of the memorandum of understanding. And so there may be some resistance on that front, but uh, that's billionaires fighting billionaires, and that's even more unpalatable for the uh, uh, for the working stiffs that just want to see some hockey play. The bigger news, of course, as you say, is they're doing this in an environment where COVID is exploding uh, around yeah. the world, and we have, you know, here in Alberta, a fairly desperate uh, situation where our own provincial government uh, finally uh, put in a, a you know all-province uh, mask mandate and a 28-day lockdown right through the Christmas season. Uh, that's how rough things are going here. And of course, here Edmonton, which had the super safe bubble for the NHL playoffs, now has the task of providing another super safe bubble for the World Juniors, and that's being done. You know, in, in a in a situation where the the virus is much more out of control and the teams that are coming in i mean we have four teams uh that have declared multiple players medically ineligible to play i think there was two from germany three from the united states four from sweden plus three coaches and five out of the team canada camp that were uh that were uh declared unable to play, including Matthew Robertson of uh, Edmonton Oil Kings, which is unfortunate. He was a favorite to make the team, and unfortunately, it's out for him for reasons completely beyond his. Uh... So the the World Juniors, I mean, it's nip and tuck, man. I mean, we're talking that's still two over two weeks away before they begin, and before the teams even get into the bubble, they're facing problems and in, in multiple locations and I mean even the IIHF itself Rene Faisal the, the uh, head honcho of uh, International Ice Hockey Federation he's got COVID so there, <laughs> that was yeah. the kicker yeah, that was yeah. the kicker wasn't it Bruce like yeah. when I read that I thought oh man <laughs> they really do have who's got troubles Fire, virus five hockey zero it seems like at this moment in time so I have you know that's casting a big shadow over the upcoming World Junior, and frankly, it casts the same shadow over the return of the NHL. How are they going to be able to do it uh, if the uh, COVID numbers can continue to spiral? So it's good they have a plan, and I suppose the plan would have some flexibility as to start date and so on. But at least they're, you know, they're they're through phase one of the squabbling among themselves and back on the track of let's get this going as soon as we possibly can. And that's good news. Bruce, here are some of the players that are still out there to be signed. Mike, uh, Mik- Mikhail Granlund, uh, who had 30 points in 63 games last year. Mike Hoffman, 59 points in 69 games. He still mm-hmm. hasn't signed. Uh, the veteran defenseman Andy Green, he's 37 now, but he's he's still he's always been a good player. Mm-hmm. Sammy yeah. Votnin, uh, probably like a low end, like second pairing D man. Um, Carl Soderberg, 
checking center, 35 points in 70 games last year. Um, Travis Hamanick. Travis Hamanick, who was rumored only a few years ago to be a target for the Edmonton Oilers in a Taylor Hall trade. Huh. Mike Grabner, who had a weak year last season um, after being strong previous to that. Connor Sherry, Eric Halla, 24 points in 48 games. Like he, who is, he's been viewed as a kind of a top end third line center. Colin Wilson's out there. Um, so Matt Martin, uh, checking winger. So there's some, some players that this year, there's a, still a, like that's 10 players who are useful NHL uh-huh. players who are still not. And some of them are per, like Hoffman's a, a top line player, probably on a lot of teams and he's still mm-hmm. not signed. So there's some bargains out there. I don't see the Oilers moving on, on any of those players, but you never know. Uh, I think Dominic Cahoon was the, the cherry on top of the Oilers mm-hmm. off season. It was quite some, quite some cherry. And Bruce, when you say billionaires versus millionaires, it's funny, like the players are, like we think of the players as the players united, but mm-hmm. there's there's players in there who are on like their, you know, they're, they're eight, you know, in the $70 million, $60 million career earnings range. Mm-hmm. Lots of guys at 20, 30, $40 million. This is a pile of money. But then there's this whole group of players, like you say, who who are, you know, maybe a third of the players who are working on their, you oh, know, easy. their first million or their second or their third, mm-hmm. like if that. And, and so... You know, when you when you're at the pinnacle of this profession, yeah. uh, and this is your your chance to make money for a lifetime mm-hmm. at your chosen profession, that's not a lot of money. So they're they're quite a divi- like in some ways they're quite a divided group of uh, of people with all kinds of different interests. But they all wanted to get, and I can imagine the people who are let at the bottom of the pyramid, mm-hmm. they want the money now. Like their right. their career is short. Whatever mm-hmm. money they can make. Mm-hmm. And, and I think so. The, in some ways, it was a healthy thing, like in terms of equity, because the pl- the people at the very bottom of that very steep pyramid, uh, mm-hmm. at the, in the NH- in the NHL level, um, maybe won out and are going to get paid this year. Um, Bruce, let's let's move on and let's talk about mm-hmm. Carter Savoy. You, uh, you let's we'll start out. Let's just start out with a quote from his coach at the University of Denver. Carter Savoy is, of course, the Oilers' um, fourth round pick. Yep. Fourth round pick from this year. It was. It was probably. It may. It might one day be viewed as the trade, the biggest trade of the, the Ken Holland made this past year, where he seems like kind of a small draft day move, where he he moved the 76th pick overall in the draft for the hundredth pick and the 126th pick, and it just seemed like okay, you're you're cashing in a third round pick for two fourth round picks. And this is the third round pick that might've gone to the Calgary flames in the Lucic deal, but the Oilers chose right. to hold, but the Oilers, who knows, maybe this draft was just exceptionally deep and that's what everybody was saying, but it looks like the Oilers got two absolutely fantastic forward prospects in Carter Savoy and Tyler Tulio. Is that right? Tulio? <laughs> uh, Tyler Tulio. And, <laughs> Carter Savoy is off to this amazing start. He's 18 years old. He's playing mm-hmm. uh, He's playing in one of the top U.S. hockey programs at the University of Denver. And he has got six points in his first uh, four games. In, I think five of them are goals. If I'm five not, goals. Five of them. Yeah. It's, it's, as you were saying, it's the first time in history that a freshman has gotten goals in his first, is it now the first four games? For and that program, but yeah, that, that, that's that, a very storied, long-standing program at University of Denver. 
That's right. And here's what his coach, David Carl, said about him in the Denver Post, about him and uh, Michael Benning, who also played uh, on the same AGHL team. They were teammates. And, and Michael Benning, what's his relation to Matt? Brother. His brother. Okay. Son, son of Brian, nephew of Jim. He's there got hockey go. bloodlines. They're all D-men. All the Bennings are D-men. He's off to a good start, too. And this is what mm. the coach, David Carl, says about both these two young players from, from the Edmonton area. From uh, They've got ice in their veins. They love the game of hockey. They're gamers. They want to be on the ice in big moments. They know when to move the puck, where to be on the ice offensive. It's really impressive. And it gives our bench, our team, a lot of confidence when they're out there. So this is a coach in a, in a high-level university college program talking about a freshman player, 18-year-old freshman, that the Oilers have drafted. Mm-hmm. Bruce, this is extremely, extremely encouraging in terms of uh, Carter Savoy's development. And both you and I have now um, watched, I've watched some, I watched a couple games from the HL last year and I've watched his most recent games and then you watched his first three games. Yep. What did you think of the player when you in the games you watched? I'm... He's still learning. He's, uh, you know, he's he's not a dominant player at that level yet. But I mean, he's 18 years old, and and I believe the youngest player on the team by a couple of weeks younger than uh, than Michael Benning, his uh, his friend and teammate. Uh, but his offensive uh, gifts are pretty pretty impressive. Uh, he's got a great shot. Uh, one of the things I did was I went back and I looked at the goals that were the videos of the goals that were on the scouting service that we uh, uh, subscribed to that uh, showed a bunch of his AJHL goals and he's got a rocket, but he's also got a gift for for knowing when to shoot. He's got that that shooter's mentality of holding the puck for the extra beat or half beat while he's moving on the ice, changing his shooting angle and. As soon as he senses the goal, he hasn't quite squared up with him. Boom. Short side, especially he loves short side, but uh, short side, far side. He can, he, can, uh, uh, he can plug a hole, a puck-sized hole from 25 feet with, uh, uh, I mean, obviously these are goal videos, so you, you don't see the 100% of shots that don't go in, but you do see <laughs> all the ones that do. But, uh, it, I mean, I saw enough there to say this guy is a real, real sniper. There's a, a, a big level of deception to his game. You don't really know what he's going to do, and he has a bag of tricks uh, of which, you know, moving the puck, holding the puck, shooting quickly, uh, you know, he, he using the screens, you, you know, using his teammates for deflections. Like he's got, uh, uh, he, he's got some real offensive instincts that uh, as an old goalie, you know, I see some of the things, oh man, that'd be tough to get in the way of that and uh, uh, it would be he's uh, uh, so that's clearly his gift and and the rest of his game I mean if you're going to have one aspect of your game that you have a plus skill I mean putting the puck in the net has got to be number one on that list uh, for a forward at least and hopefully uh, learn and build the game around him you know he's got to get better as a skater but guess what he's an 18 year old player all 18 year old players have to get better as a skater that's a given and he's not a poor skater i would call him average uh and 
you know, I think he's going to have to up the physicality of his game a little bit, you know, just a, a little bit of the give and take. But he's a feisty little guy, and he's uh, 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 early showing is, all I can say, very, very promising. I mean, Denver's got 10 goals through four games, playing very tough games. I mean, they're ranked number four in the U.S., and three of their first four, four games have been against teams ranked ahead of them in the national rankings. Ooh. And so they've uh, they've been all one goal games. Denver scored ten goals, and eighteen year old Carter Savoy has five of the ten goals. What did you think? So what did you think of his hustle? Because uh, one of the criticisms, the reason he went hundredth overall and not twenty mm-hmm. seventh overall or tenth overall, because because his shot was rated as the one of the best in the draft, um, is people had questions about his hustle in the AJHL. That was a common comment from mm-hmm. multiple people who viewed him and many other players. What did what did you think when you were watching him? Uh, I think he's pretty pumped to be out there and playing, so it's it's not an issue yet, and hopefully it just won't be an issue. Uh, I think there's been some criticism about his, uh, his overall commitment to physical fitness, and uh, I heard a school of thought that... Uh, he might be best served by spending some time away from mom's home cooking while he's no longer, you know, I mean, he's, he, he, he was living in St. Albert playing in Sherwood Park the last two years. Well, now he's playing in Denver. So guess what? He's not living in St. Albert. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. I mean, sometimes you get these guys and it's not until they're drafted and they have the proper direction from a team and from a player development personnel and so on, not to mention, you know, they're, uh, their coaching and and so on as they go up the ranks in hockey that put more emphasis on some of these little details that they have to do, you know, off the ice as well as on to uh, prepare themselves for the, for the vigors of a professional career. And hopefully he's already taken that to heart. I mean, I don't see anything so far that you could call any sort of a negative sign. He's years away, but the Oilers might have a, a real diamond in the rough there. So I saw his last game where he scored the winning goal with two minutes left. He takes a pass. Just he's crossing in over. There's a neutral zone play. They're passing around the neutral zone a little bit. He he crosses. The blue line gets a pass. Bursts around. Uh, bursts through the defensive coverage. And right at the dot, which isn't necessarily a great place to shoot, unless you're Carter Savoy, he just fired a shot from the dot right over the goalie's shoulder post, okay. far, far post. Beautiful absolutely beautiful shot so mm-hmm. bruce I, I only saw the one game but the mm-hmm. player that i saw was markedly better than the player i saw last year in the ajhl and the few games i saw there just the the mm-hmm. the skating looked better mm-hmm. and the hustle uh his involvement in the game was way higher and as you say he's probably excited to be there maybe he's read those criticisms so and maybe he's a Maybe he's an 18-year-old kid who just needed to be told the truth by a number of different people. Like you just got to you got to work harder on defense. This game, I saw him come back hard on a back check, mm-hmm. dive, dive oh, into really? the defensive slot to block a pass. I didn't mm-hmm. see any any evidence of a player out there who wasn't uh, hustling hard. And the thing I love the, the thing I love about his game, he's such a heads-up player. He, he's he gets the he's able to get the puck quickly off the boards onto his stick. And make a pass, which is a which is a huge skill in hockey. You listen to Adam Oates talk about that kind of thing. The elite players all have this ability 
to, 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 to get those hard, bouncing, wobbly pucks off the boards, quickly off the boards. And he did this a couple times in the game where he's kicking it off his skates to his stick, um, taking it backhand to forehand, and then making a quick pass. And because his head's up as he's doing those things, he's able to spot the player he's going to pass to and hit that player. If, so you, so you're wa- I'm watching him all game, and I'm just wondering, like, how does he, he just constantly seems to make the right play with the puck when he gets the puck. And he doesn't carry the puck a ton, although he did. He, he was able to uh, use rush the puck a few times. He has enough speed to do that. He's one of those players who seems to get faster with the puck on his stick. Um, but he, he, he just is constantly looking around when he has the puck and doesn't have the puck. His, his eyes are up. And, uh, yeah, it's hard not to be a little bit excited about him right now because um, as a, a, a fourth-round draft pick, I mean, if someone told me, Here's the guy that the Oilers took 15th overall um, right in this last draft instead of Dylan Holloway. If I was watching mm-hmm. right now based on that game that I saw, it's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, he, he's he's killing it at college sure, hockey. Man. And all the skills are there. He, he's a, he is a, he's a dynamite um, player. He shoots left. Mm-hmm. So... Um, We'll just have to see. Like, so they're going to temper all this now. Right. Four college games. Uh, a player who was passed over in the first three rounds of the draft, passed over repeatedly by teams uh, for a reason. They're not dummies for a reason. And we'll see how this goes. But um, it's kind of a, it's good for him. Good start. One, one caveat. He's doing almost all of his damage except for his very first goal is all done on the power play. Yes. Uh, five. His last five points and four goals have been all power play goals, and they're not shy about calling penalties in that loop. There's yeah. a lot of power plays in in the three games that I watched, and of course he's not on the penalty kill side of it, but he's getting. They put him right out on the first power play unit, playing the left point, same position he played in uh, uh, in Sherwood Park, uh, with Michael Benning on the right point. And his game on the left point, man, he, he, he's just subtle. He just kind of drifts. He, he's got the puck, and he just drifts into the soft ice, and he holds the puck. And once he gets inside the face-off circle, left or right, but especially the left face-off circle, he loves to shoot from there, and he can beat goalies from there, at least the goalies of the level that he's been playing to this point. And uh, that that's kind of a favorite play. Hold the puck, kind of drift into shooting position, bam, and... And the, the the BAM aspect is first rate. Like he really does have a wicked accurate shot. I would say he can. He he has the potential to be an NHL player if he can do one thing. And, and I, I, this is one of my favorite hockey stories. Um, it's when I first saw Mike Bossy live. Mike Bossy, Brian Trotsch, and Clark Gillies. And, and I've told this story a few times, but I am going to tell it again here. Okay. Um, it's, I had been watching, you know, my dad had seasons tickets, uh, for the early Oilers and we went to lots of WHA games. So I'd been to, mm-hmm. to professional hockey games for probably a decade before I saw Mike Bossy right. and I'd seen Mike Bossy and Gillies and Trache on TV, but this would, this would be in, in 81 or 82, the first time I saw them live. And when they lost the puck and it went back to their end of the ice, they all turned on a dime, like so fast. And they just hustled so hard back. I'd never seen in all my years of watching pro hockey live. And what I never seen players back check that hard. And these were the three, this was the best offensive line probably in the NHL at that time with 
Gretzky and Curry challenging them mm-hmm. uh, or better than them. So it's maybe the second best line the Islanders. I'd never seen in my life a line back check so hard and so furiously and f- diligently as that top line uh, uh, for the New York Islanders. And those that was Mike Bossy. Mm-hmm. If Mike Bossy needed to do that to be in the NHL and to succeed in the NHL, th- if Carter, Carter Savoy can do that, if he can get into his head that no one will ever go back harder and more uh, ferociously on the back check than Carter Savoy, he can be an NHL hockey player. If he just makes up his mind, if he, if that one thing is, is cause all the other, cause I think the offensive skills it looks like are going to be there or possibly mm-hmm. be there. But if he can get that in his head to be that kind of defensive hockey player, he can make it, I think. And the, I would say the same. I'm going to w- segue this to Ryan McLeod, who I'm watching right. in the Swiss league. That's what's stopping him right now. I personally believe from making the move to the NHL, he's got to up his defensive intensity. He's got to be that player who, who makes up his mind. No one is going to get back faster and harder and more ferociously on the check than, than, than Ryan McLeod uh, and, and cover the defensive slot better than me. If he makes up his mind to do that, because again, on the big ice, what I'm seeing, he's, he's on a little bit of a point tear right now. He's got three points in two games. He's fast and he's big. He's 6'3", 200 pounds. He, he's, he's one of the fastest players, if not the fastest player on the ice. His, his offensive skills, though, are are just okay. He's not at that level. He, he you know, he doesn't have that um, brilliant ability at at this level to to make a play out of nothing, to always make the right play, to see things other players don't see, to create to create chances when they're not there. He's good at it, but he's just not he's not elite at it. And I, I don't I don't know if that's ever going to come. But he because of his other because of his his uh, size and his skill. He's got some offensive talent to make it as an NHLer, but again, what I need to see from him, there's something actually missing from his game. And to me, it's that kind of defensive intensity, where he just comes back hard again and again and again every single shift and makes the right and and then thinks when he gets back, who, who, okay, who's the danger man? Who do I cover as the center to help out these defensemen so we don't mm-hmm. get scored upon? So that's my Ryan McLeod take. Have, have you seen him? You've seen him. Mm-hmm. I have. Oh, yeah. People project him as a as a three C, and I think that lines up fairly well with the type of offense that he's shown, which is you know relatively sporadic. I, I don't see him as a top six level scorer, three uh, C or potentially uh, winger. Uh, yeah. But if you're going to play three C and succeed, you got to have that defensive uh, intensity, and. That, I mean, it helps players on any line, as you pointed out about, <clears throat> about Mike Bossy, or I'll point out about the, you know, the the classic 3C, uh, Patrice Bergeron, except for he's a 1C because he's so good <laughs> yeah, <laughs> going both ways, you know, but, but the guy you would cast into that uh, uh, defensive center role, well, he's got to bring that defensive intensity. And McLeod, this has been a pretty constant criticism of the guy since even before Edmonton drafted him. It was in the, you know, draft reports that, uh, uh, that he um, uh, is a little bit of a perimeter player and perimeter player, you know, like that has limitations offensively, but also defensively. You got to be on the right side of your man. You know, the tough, the tough areas of the ice. They talk about going to the dirty areas. Well, the defensive zone, the dirty areas inside the guy that you're covering. 
between him and the goalie, not reaching yeah. in from behind, but actually, you know, being in position to uh, impede him. And, you know, that's some, some can be some pretty rough going doing that, and you have to commit to it. And uh, he's got a very enticing set of skills, as you say, his size and speed, that combination is, uh, is, uh, is always going to grab one's attention. But the application of that is still a work in progress. And I would rank another player I just watched, and I saw him good in a game, um, Raphael Lavoie, playing mm-hmm. in Sweden. So the the McLeod's, um, yeah, being a perimeter player is an issue for him. Like it, it's it, it's it's a fair criticism, and he's got to he's got to take it to heart if he wants to be an NHL mm-hmm. player, you know. And it's again going to make make the difference between him between him making maybe one or two million as a professional player over the years because he'll stick with it. He can obviously he can play in the Swiss league. You know, mm-hmm. and making maybe twenty or thirty million dollars—that mm-hmm. could be the difference if, with the habits that he forms as a player. And what I'm seeing with Lavoie is like w- when you think about a player who's not a perimeter player. Raphael Lavoie is not a perimeter player. He he gets <laughs> what I love about this player is he's this great big guy, and he's listed as six three two oh five. I think he's got to be taller than six three because he just towers over everybody on the ice. Yeah. And he when he gets the puck, Bruce, he takes it to the net like no yeah. holds barred. You know, it, it's he's he loves to get that puck and power it to the net uh, any way he can. And when he gets there, he's got a hell of a shot as well. So this is a, a a huge player with with that great shot and that real super drive. And to me, you know, uh, well, we'll he's ripping it up. He's got seven points in his last five games in the Allsvenskan, which is a Swedish league, which is below the level of the. It's somewhere between major junior hockey and the AHL, and um, so it's not the best league. But he's he's in the top twenty scoring, and he's and he's on a hot streak right now. He, he's doing well. It'll be, I, I'm really curious to see how he does when he gets to the AHL and if he can continue right. this level of of really first-line play, essentially, for a winger and successful first-line play. But, again, I'm seeing I'm seeing NHL qualities. That the shot, the size, his skating isn't great, but the shot, the size, and that de- absolute ferocious determination when he gets that puck to, to make an offensive play, to, to get to the net and get a goal. And that's that was really impressive with uh, Raphael Lavoie. Good for him, uh, mm-hmm. and I can see why. And so this is why when I re rank the players, I don't know if I had him ahead of McLeod last time, but he will definitely be ahead of of McLeod this time because he's got that inside power game, which is I think still really crucial to success in the NHL. Yeah, he's not a Ryan McLeod caliber skater. He doesn't stink as a skater, though. Like no, he, he's, no. he, he, you know, and and the games that I watch of him, he does keep his feet moving. I mean, often you get a criticism of these bigger players, and you look, and they're kind of drifting around, two-footed skating a lot. Yeah. But um, uh, I thought when I watched him, he was consistently moving his feet and uh, moving it to good effect. You know, like he sort of knew where he was going and had a reason for going there. And, uh, you know, he's he's more gifted as an offensive player, but I didn't see him as taking shortcuts. And even though he plays on a, on a pretty bad team, uh, I didn't get the sense that, he, you know, he was only looking to pad his own numbers and, and not take care of things at the other end. I mean, the, the, the uh, defensive record isn't good, but the whole team's defensive record isn't good. Uh, 
but offensively he's shown plenty and he he's got a shot that'll surprise and beat goalies and you wonder at what level are the goalies too good that that's going to stop happening and my fear is that level is the nhl but uh, <laughs> yeah. he uh uh, like he scored a few, where you thought, how'd that get through the goalie? But he finds a hole or, you know, he surprises them with the release point or what have you. And some of those are translatable skills, at least until you get playing those goalies that don't leave holes anywhere. And so we, he's, a, he's a very interesting prospect. And I mean, he just turned 20 years old and he's playing his first pro season. And he, uh, he made that transition, uh, to my mind, very well indeed. And this is what you want to see, uh, like honestly, from a mm-hmm. if a if a guy is going to ever translate into a top line forward in the NHL, mm-hmm. you need to see you, almost always you need to see the scoring just continue to translate, like from league to league to league. Like there's never when right. they make the jump, and there's there's hardly ever there's exceptions to this, but there's hardly ever that gap where for a couple of years they don't score much, like they move to the HL and they don't score much, and then they become a top line top six player in the NHL. You can find examples of that, but they're few and far right. between. So this is a very good sign for both early ind- indicators, early indicators, and I want to stress that for both yes. Lavoie and Savoy, who may, maybe one day will be on the same line. I want to see that. Time. I want to see Rod Phillips come out of retirement to to call a game <laughs> with that line of Savoy and Lavoie. <laughs> Uh, okay, who else do we... Oh, okay, Philip Broberg. So in Sweden, mm. Bruce, we got a very interesting YouTube commentator from yes. Sweden who was telling us that in... like so, so we've been hearing that in Sweden, nobody's... I can tell... I can say this with confidence. None of the, none of the announcers call him Philip Broberg, as we no. call him. Not one calls him Philip mm-hmm. Broberg. But there, there is apparently in the different regions of Sweden, there's different pronunciations. Do you, do you remember what they were? Yeah, well, Broberg was in the north, and Broberg uh, was in some central Sweden, and then there was a, in southern Sweden, uh, there, it was more of a silent G that they don't pronounce at all. But Broberg, as as I recall, is how he, uh, how he differentiated. So anyway, the fact being that Sweden is a, is a, uh, you know, it's a sizable country, and it's a long country, you know, in, uh, in latitude, and there are different. Admiral dialects accents within the within the country and uh, so they would approach how they pronounce that type of name and there's tons and tons of bergs in in Sweden so you know we got Berglunds and Lundbergs you know it's uh, <laughs> I'm not quite sure how they put those names together over there but uh, uh, but all the guys with the BERG uh, you typically hear in the games I've been listening to Barry Barry so. That's mm-hmm. what I hear from all. I think I'm not sure if I'm. No, we're hearing different announcers because we're watching mm-hmm. different players, and it's always I'm right. always hearing Barry actually. Like so, Bro Barry is and Barry Lund is uh, mm-hmm. is the common pronunciation. So, um, you know, out of respect for the player, I, I think it's mm-hmm. you should try to pronounce the name as as they would pronounce it. I don't think that's asking mm-hmm. too much of anyone. So, you know, it's not mm-hmm. Valerie Kar- Karlamov, it's right. Harlamov, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so over the years we, we we do and have it's not. And it's not Guy Hebert, it's Guy Hebert, you know, I mean, we're, we're used to doing that for, for French-Canadian players, so the pushback that we get on trying to do the same, uh, trying at least to do justice to some of these European pronunciations, uh, I don't buy it. I think you have to do your best to... I, I to, think so, too. 
Yeah, and I think the Russians we've gotten used to try to pronounce their name correctly, right? I think that's right, more true. that's more over, you know, you know, instead of Fetizov, it's Fetizov, you know, like so. Yeah. Instead of Burr, it's Burre, like you know, where we Pure. for a long time, for a long time, <laughs> we've been at it. And my theory, Bruce, on this is that the Swedes are so damn polite that they've mm -hmm. never complained. Like everyone else has probably made a bit of a stink about us mispronouncing mm -hmm. their names, but the Swedes are so polite that that we've been butchering their their names for decades and they just they just say ah, whatever like they just suck it up so so maybe that's good for the swedes but uh all right so philip brober you saw mm -hmm. him play uh his most recent game so bruce you gave him a grade of five mm -hmm. he's having a little trouble with his plus minus over there what Ooh. is he now minus he's minus, minus nine on the season yeah. and he he started off through four games he was plus three and since game number four, he's played 19 games, and he has had a plus in zero of the 19 games. He's either been even or he's been minus, and he's been minus enough times to put up a gross minus 12 over the 19 games. And, I mean, this is probably, what, 15, 17 minutes a night of uh, five on five, and it's not like he's getting clobbered on empty net goals against or shorties against or you know the 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 standard criticisms of plus minus. He's playing most of the time at five on five, and too often his part of the game, uh, his team actually loses that portion of the game. This is a team that's you know it's a competitive team. They're plus one on the season. I don't know the breakdown of uh, even strength goals in there, but it's probably pretty close to even. But in Philip Broberg's part of the game, uh, Shaleftia has been losing that part, and they've been you know winning with other players on the ice and breaking even overall. But it's over two months ago since he had a plus game. I mean, he's had, obviously he's been on the ice for goals, but like in this game, he was on the ice for one for, one against. You know, he made a nice play on the goal, but he was one of the culprits on the goal against. And as a result, they, you know, they just broke even in this part of the game. And that's been a best case scenario for this player for a little bit too long for my liking. It's not like it's a week where he's had a, you know, a, a goaltending disasters behind him or, it's it's been an extended period where he's just sort of struggling to keep his head above water. What it says to me, Bruce, is he's in the right place. Like he shouldn't like this this thought taking the Oilers this year that has floated out there. Like I just forget it. Like to to me, forget it. Like he, he's he's in the exact right spot. He's moved from playing about 14, 15 minutes a game to about 19, 20 minutes a game. He's, uh, there's just tons of stuff to really like about his game, but there's also like, yeah, anyone watching him would, would have to say like, he's got some, he's got some things to work on. Yep. And so, some of it is like cutting out passes into the slot in the defensive mm -hmm. zone. Like he's really great at shutting down the play in the, in the neutral zone, backing up as a defenseman because he's, his ability to go forwards to backwards to forwards to backwards, his long reach, his big size, six, three whatever he is, 205, like he's big and he's fast, he's agile, like he's great, I think, at one-on-one -on -one defending, um, generally speaking, although he still gets beaten on them there as well. But that's a real, I would say that's a strength. But sometimes the corner battles, he'll still lose those. And defensive reads in, in, in the defensive zone, he might not make completely correctly all the time. So he's in the exact right spot for his hockey development. And I think the latest word out of the Oilers camp, I think uh, Mark Spector mentioned that Ken Holland had said they might not even bring him over for training camp, although he'll be here. Right. But um, 
he'll be here. But I, I think they're seeing him as maybe they'll just send him, he'll just go back to Sweden and play out the rest of the year there. Because I think that's where he belongs right now. It's a good good place for him. The really encouraging thing. I saw him in two games where he was minus four and he made mistakes mm-hmm. on, I think, two or three of the four goals <clears throat> where he was a culprit, as we right. call them, uh, at the Cult of Hockey. Players who make major mistakes on goals and grade A chances against. He was a culprit in many sequences of pain. But Bruce, I was laughed with. I just he when he has the puck in the mm-hmm. in the he seems to he's getting more confident right now with the puck. I'm noticing. He's mm-hmm. he's tr- he's moving his feet. He's rushing it, and he is so damn fast. He's such a great skater, and he's trying to make plays. And the player, the 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 ceiling, like the absolute ceiling, the Hall of Fame ceiling, which we sometimes like to invoke with players. I'm as bad as anyone for that. The player that he was reminding me of, like the the class of player, the school that he's from, he doesn't have to me, and he won't. He, I don't. I'm not gonna see like the top, like really top end offensive ability that you'll see like in an Eric Carlson or a Paul Coffey or a Bobby. I don't think we're ever gonna see that from from right. Broberry. I don't think that's. But Sir Savard was the player that came to my mind. Mm-hmm. Just his, the way he rags the puck, moves with the puck, you know, he doesn't do the Savardian spinorama yet. He, yeah. sp- he tends to spin in the other direction, but he, he, uh, he will do his own spinorama and rag that puck, move the puck, control the puck. He's effortless skating for a bi- a man that size, a big guy like that. Um, his growing confidence with the puck. I was just really impressed. And that's the player that started, like that's the kind of class or style of play that came to mind was uh, a Serge Savard kind of player. And there's lesser players of that same mold who have made in the NHL and we'll see where he ends up. But that's who I was thinking. Yeah, well, Serge Savard, I mean, he's on my short list of greatest defensemen I've seen in my lifetime. But I don't think we got to see Serge Mm -hmm. as great as he could have been. I mean, he won the Conn Smythe Trophy in 1969, age 21. And uh, he was a great skater at that time. And then the following season, he broke his leg. And the season following that, he broke his leg again, or the other leg, I can't remember which, but he suffered broken legs two years in a row. And he did recover from that and came back for a long, storied, successful career, Hall of Fame career. And he was a dominant player, but it wasn't dominant through his speed. It was through, you know, the other aspects of his very broad-based game, uh, which included some offense, uh, especially when the Habs really needed a goal. That's when uh, that's when Savard was dangerous, and uh, he was, um, uh, you know, just just a superb player. But uh, to say Broberry reminds me of Savard, well, I don't. I don't quite see it but i do you know and there are there are some similarities including the you know the the towering size and and of a young serge savard yeah that's a little that's a little bit more reasonable and let's hope uh, broberry doesn't suffer the same sort of physical insults that serge did he sure goes harder than that broberry and like you could see like he's he's rushes recklessly with reckless abandon at the net often and you could see him hopefully it never happens but you could see him like getting hurt on that kind of play mcdavid certainly has and mm-hmm. and yeah. broberry broberry goes for that kind of he goes for it now and then so we'll see but anyway um, uh, he he spent in this game uh, in the second period he was great he, he kept getting the puck at the point and, and and making very good plays with, he kept rushing into the zone and actually making successful zone entries. Um, and 
but the other parts of the game, like when he did try and rush the puck up the ice, uh, Brinus, the team that they, they were playing against, they seemed to have a game plan to funnel him to the outside and then challenge him physically. And they knocked him down two or three times and the play went the other way. And, you know, uh, one time, literally, he was lying in the corner, the very furthest part of the ice from his own net uh, while the play went the other way. Or another time, he had a teammate that was in a puck battle along the boards inside the offensive blue line, and he skated to give the guy a brief passing receiving option, but the guy didn't actually have the puck to make that play. And then when he lost the puck, he was, Rober, he was lost. He was going the wrong way, and the puck was, you know, skedaddling the other way, and he had to turn around. He was about the fourth guy of five to get back into his zone that time. So some of that... Uh, some of that's just decision making, you know, and when to get rid of the puck or, you know, to, uh, you know, you got to keep your feet out there. Uh, and the serious criticism I had of this game, not necessarily his game, but this game was what I saw as soft defensive coverage. I didn't really engage uh, when the other team had the puck and, you know, there was a man near him in the slot, but he didn't seem to have any particular coverage in mind. He wasn't hard on the guy's stick. He wasn't you know, have a shoulder in his chest. He, you know, he was uh, uh, just kind of floating two or three or four feet away and not really able to to prevent uh, passes or shots from his man. And I think he needs to show a lot more commitment on the defensive side of the puck than I saw in this particular game. Yeah, so a young defenseman mm-hmm. with some yeah. defensive growing pains, right? So, and and the Savard comparison, I'm like, flash. yeah, exactly. And hopefully that doesn't happen at the NHL level. Like that's the worst idea mm-hmm. on earth to have the growing pains happen at the NHL level for a young D-man. So, Vladislav Smeed says hi. Yeah. Oh God, how many like how many mm-hmm. young defensemen of the Oilers did did we see that with Bruce, where they were rushed? Justin, Justin Schultz, Schultz is the hi. poster boy <laughs> for that horrendous developmental model um yeah yeah because he i mean if the world junior goes through and he's in town just as training camp starts i wouldn't mind seeing him get a few days with the team but i don't really care if he does or doesn't i think his future is in sweden for the rest of this season and the fact that he did get that bonus training camp in july uh you know this would be, you know, just a cherry on top of that. But he's already got that experience. So to get more of it, you know, be nice to have a few days. But honestly, I don't see a situation where he's on the taxi squad even for the year to come. He needs to play games and grow his game. And the best place for that is Kalaftia. They call they. I've heard it called <laughs> Kalaftia. I heard it like a hard K for yeah. Kalaftia from, from one of the announcers. Um Let's just quickly, Bruce, my power mm-hmm. is running out of my computer oh, here. I'm at 4%. But, uh, so when I get to 1%, I'll, I'll cut yeah. in and say we got it. We'll just. But yeah. um, uh, Who so Kurt left? Levins, we've got Kurt Levins. Oh. Just a quick thing. Kurt was writing about the coming financial crunch in the NHL, where with a flat cap, which is what we're going to see for years to come. Uh, but he also sees a lot of the teams, like there's a, you can spend to the ceiling of the cap or you're allowed to spend to the floor of the cap in mm-hmm. the NHL. And he sees a lot of owners with financial troubles get, and also getting troubles with getting fans in the stands. Um, and he sees a lot of teams starting to spend closer to the floor than to the ceiling. And mm-hmm. his suggestion seemed to be that he felt the owners would avoid that problem because of Kate's diversified business portfolio. Right. 
and um, he's right. Hope he's right, and maybe fans in, in Edmonton. I hope he's right about that. I mean, we we have a situation. We're going to have a situation in Edmonton. I fear like the '80s, where the '80s were an extremely difficult financial era for Edmonton, and um, but nonetheless, we'll, we'll have a really good team. And the the owners managed to sell tickets. Um, through the 80s. I don't know what's going to happen though because the tickets oh. are so much more expensive mm-hmm. I think relatively compared to the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, I would like to compare it to a movie ticket. What a movie ticket cost then and a hockey ticket in the 80s. Maybe I'll do a post on that. That might be interesting. Like so find some comparable uh, uh, things to go to uh, uh, entertainment events because the oiler tickets are so expensive and I just fear mm-hmm. that the oilers might not be able to sell. But Kurt was thinking it's going to turn out okay. And the Oilers are going to be one of these high cap teams. And there's going to be lots of players that, that these high cap teams are going to be able to, to get. Right. That they might have, um, and it might be easier to keep. More importantly, with all of these prospects, both on defense and now on the wing bubbling up, might be able to keep. So just in uh, 30 seconds, Bruce, I'm at 2%. What's your thought on this issue? My um, thought is that the Seattle Kraken are in wonderful position. To yes. come in and, and clean up on the uh, on the uh, good marketable affordable players market, uh, just like Vegas Golden Knights did, and wouldn't you know the NHL finally gives expansion teams a fair shake and then sticks both of them in Edmonton's division. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, that uh, so Kurt's point partly was that you know not only is it. Uh, spending high to the cap, but teams that aren't committed already to long-term contracts that have a little bit of space that they can fill with some of these players that are best positioned. And I'm not sure that's the Oilers, although that's changing somewhat in 2021. They actually have some sizable contracts that are expiring this year uh, compared to last year. But uh, so they'll have, they'll have certainly a little bit more breathing room. But uh, uh, if I agree with him that you know there's going to be a gap between spending the floor and spending the ceiling. You'd want to be at the on the latter side of that to compete in the uh, brave new NHL. It makes me wonder what will happen with the Nugent Hopkins and Nurse contracts, right? Like two players coming up to UFA years. Like what are the implications of this cap system for those two deals, which are big deals? And do you want to go as high as you might have thought in the past on them or not? So anyway, we'll leave we'll leave that as a, a thought for everyone to to right. ponder on, and maybe we'll deal with it a little more depth. So Bruce, thanks for thanks for talking today. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. Save it fast. <laughs>